Hey, what's going on, y'all? Sean here once again. Today, I'm so excited for this episode. I will be talking about Zelda. Yes, the legendary video game series. I'll be honest, coming into this um, interview I'm doing today with Josh from the Still Loading Podcast, I only played uh, Link's Awakening, so I'm excited to talk with um, Josh. He has a lot of insight on Zelda and video games in general. I find it cool that he's a collector, so he takes this stuff very seriously. So you are in for a treat. Enjoy. And with me on the line, he is the host of the Still Loading Podcast. Josh, what's going on, man? Hey, man, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourselves? I'm doing good, man. I got my uh, high-fashion beer, Bud Ice, you know, ready to go. <laughs> I got I got nothing on me right now. I, I did just have some vitamin water uh, with my dinner, but I don't have any drinks on me at the uh, moment. Are you, uh, do you uh, partake in any beverages, if you know what I mean? I, I do like to drink every now and then. I'm not much of a drinker. Uh, it's weird. I don't like beer, and not because of any specific... Well, I don't like how it tastes. It's too bitter for me. Yeah. But then, I also don't even like the feeling of being drunk. But then, one of my favorite drinks to have is a Long Island iced tea, which is one of the strongest yeah. things out there. So, I have to be careful with those. It's a really weird mix where it's like, well, I don't really like to be drunk, but I really like how this Long Island iced tea tastes. Yeah, it's hit or miss for me on like podcasts. Sometimes I've had kind of a crazy day, not to get too off um, off task, but so I was at um, I was at the trailhead, right? I run. By the way, this is just a little diversion. We're gonna get to our topic, Zelda, but no. So I'm at the trailhead, right? You know how sometimes there's um, older people that that just hang out there. If you know what I'm trying to be friendly with the word verbiage, yeah, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, the older people that are tenured mm-hmm. and make it a home. So one of them was like, hey, buddy, um, check out your tire. I'm like, what you mean? <laughs> it's like a, it was like a three minute drive from my apartment to the um, like trailhead. I didn't hear nothing. Uh, I would have been screwed because I wouldn't have looked. It was on the other side of the car. Um, it was flat then, I'm assuming. Well, the, it was the damn, um, it was a damn uh, valve stem. Okay. <laughs> so, so the and luck, luckily for me, the auto uh, auto uh, place was literally next next door. Okay, so I got lucky, and they didn't even charge me for labor because they all they did have to do was replace the valve stem. Oh, that's nice of them. So that's yeah. So I was like, you just gained a customer. <laughs> but uh, no, nah, that was good. So I bought him a beer. You know, I didn't have no cash on me, but I bought him a beer. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. This place um, that the trailhead's at, it's a combination of Dairy Queen meets a bar. Mm-hmm. It's like got ice cream for kids, and then it's also got beer for adults. There was a, that's a weird combination. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, this is a random Dairy Queen story, but when my, uh, I've gone on missions trips before, right? And on one missions trip I went on, we went to this Dairy Queen in Texas, 
and we were trying to get chocolate ice cream with our blizzards or just chocolate ice cream in a cone or something like that. And this dude, his name was Hovey. <laughs> he, he had like this really strange way of speaking. It, it wasn't like he was speaking with an accent. It was just, it was a very strange way of speaking. And he goes, we only serve, we, he's like, we don't have chocolate. We only serve chocolate with our vanilla. We serve chocolate with our vanilla. And, <laughs> and I was like, I didn't want to try to like impersonate him because I felt that would be rude, but it was still kind of yeah. like, wait, you don't have chocolate, but you have chocolate with no. your vanilla. What, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? And we mm-hmm. found out later it was chocolate syrup with vanilla ice cream. That oh, the good stuff. Like a black and white type of, but yeah. it was still just kind of like, mm-hmm. that's all. He didn't offer any extra any additional explanations you're like we only serve chocolate with our vanilla but yeah you know how i can uh tell a good dairy queen from a bad dairy queen uh josh how whether they have the chocolate syrup at the very bottom of my cookie dough blizzard like some dairy queen like newbies like you know the new people that work there they'll they'll put the chocolate syrup at the very bottom and they won't they won't make it right yeah yeah, and that, that just that kills it. It kills it <laughs> for you. Like, I'm a cookie dough, you know, I love cookie dough blizzards, man. Ever since I was I'm a little a, kid. I'm an Oreo guy. Or, uh, Oreo blizzard is mine. All right, well, let's get to the uh, topic at hand for the podcast. We're going to talk about Zelda. Yeah. So, um, here's what I remember about Zelda. I remember, you know, 1993, um, there was this game. I was like, my buddy was telling me, he was like, it's like Zelda. I'm like, what do you mean? What's Zelda? And it was this guy, Link, who was like, you know, just chopping things, you know what I mean? And like, I think he had to collect, he had to collect a certain amount of things to get the winds, win something. The windfish. Yeah, the windfish. Uh, Link's Awakening for the Game Boy, yeah. Yeah, the windfish. And I'm like, damn, that shit's legit. So, And because, of course, the backstory was cool too. You know, mm-hmm. the crap, when he... Uh, they crashed the ship on what was the name of the island? What was it? Uh, Koholint. Yeah, Koholint Island is the name of that island. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. I mean, and then it was like it, I hate to say revolutionary, but well, but you're not wrong with Link's Awakening being uh, groundbreaking as well. So yeah, the original Legend of Zelda obviously was groundbreaking because it was the first in the series, but Link's Awakening was taking uh was pretty much. It took A Link to the Past, the Super Nintendo Zelda, and ported... Not, It wasn't a port. That's a bad uh, term. That's not the correct term. But <laughs> and basically adapted that style of Zelda to the Game Boy. So it was a, it was a very impressive feat because the Game Boy was essentially an, an NES, but they used more Link's Away, like almost Super Nintendo-level-esque graphics. It wasn't quite that good, but it was almost Super Nintendo-level... And it had, like, a lot of similar mechanics to the Super Nintendo game. So it was super impressive because it was a Game Boy game that could do almost everything that the Super Nintendo could. And considering it was less powerful than the Super Nintendo, that was a pretty impressive feat. So, And on top of that, it was the first Zelda on a handheld system. So it mm-hmm. didn't break ground. Right, and that was the Ford Zelda, um, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yeah, so... Was it the character Link, or was that just part of, like, did people, I guess, gravitate toward the character? Or what What do you think gravitated people toward it um, in the beginning? I mean, the series itself, I would argue, I know I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, so I wasn't even born when the first one came out. I would have been, I was born in 89, so the game was already three ah, years old, the original yeah. Zelda. But, with that said, um, most likely, 
the reason that it was actually I shouldn't even say most likely. The reason it was so popular is because there's at the time there was no other game like it. Uh, it Zelda was purposely designed to be the complete opposite of Mario. Mario was side scrolling and linear. You know, you go from left to right and you <laughs> you pretty much that's it. Yeah. Zelda was like, well, we're not even going to go side, we're going to go top down, so we have a completely different camera angle. That's mm-hmm. one. Two, the design of the game itself was it was more exploratory. Instead of being linear like Mario, they wanted the players to be able to explore around Hyrule and figure out how to progress through dungeons and which dungeons <laughs> to go in which order. Yeah. And the game was developed, I mean, Miyamoto created, you know, Shigeru Miyamoto created Zelda as well as Mario, right? Two guys? Well, he was the he was the main guy. Um, Takashi Tezuka was the other director on yeah. Zelda, on the original Legend of Zelda, but Miyamoto was the guy who created it. He came up with the idea and the concept, and he created the idea based off of when he was a kid he would play in these caves explore these caves in his hat like around his area like around his town and he would like like to explore the woods and just sift through caves and like just kind of have fun and explore his area and so he wanted to create a game that felt like that as a kid so zelda was born out of him wanting to create a game that gave the same feeling of that exploration that he did when he was a kid yeah, and it's just it's just crazy. Like I'm looking at the list here too. You know, Zelda's been on twelve of Nintendo's platforms. You know, I mean, I could list all twelve, but that we'd be here all night if I went over each <laughs> incarnation, Josh. You know, but you know, NES, Super Nintendo, Game Boy, all the Game Boys. You know, I didn't realize. Um, like, was Game when it went to Game Boy Advanced, Advance, excuse me. How popular was it then? Like, do you remember the Game Boy Advance, or do you remember any of the um, Game Boys? I mean, I've, I didn't play a whole lot of the Game Boy Advance Zeldas, but, I mean, they were decently popular, just not compared to the main series. What's interesting about the Game Boy Color games, which are the Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages, mm-hmm. um, and I want to say Four Swords, even, which was Game Boy Advance, and the Minish Cap, which was also Game Boy Advance, they weren't developed by internally by Nintendo. Right. Uh, what was interesting is that the Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Agents was developed by Capcom of all companies. The people yeah. you know who made Mega Man and whatnot. Yeah. Um, they all Capcom also assisted Nintendo with the Four Swords. It wasn't just Nintendo. Capcom helped with that. And then Zelda: The Minish <clears throat> Cap was developed by a company called Flagship, which. I don't know what else they've done. <laughs> they have done... I'm just kind of looking into their stuff right now. It looks like they have... It might be another port, like a arm of Capcom or something, because they've mm. worked on Resident Evil games. They've worked on um, mm. on Onimusha games. They've worked on... And they did some Kirby stuff, too. And then Kirby. Uh, Dino Crisis. Man, we, <laughs> let's not talk about Kirby. I could be, We could be sidestepping for a good 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> let's not talk about Kirby. But, uh... So let's let's uh, let's fast forward here to. Did, um, were you a big GameCube person? I was not. My uh, friend of mine who lived down the street had a GameCube, and that's where I played Wind Waker over at his house. I was actually a kid who played a lot of PS2, but I oh. did end up playing the uh, Zelda games. Not well. So the two Zelda games on the GameCube. One is Wind Waker, and then the mm-hmm. other was Twilight Princess, but Twilight Princess was also released on the Wii kind of at the same mm-hmm. time. It was like a dual release on both the GameCube and the Wii. Right. 
So, can you tell me, like, what are the other, like, main Zelda titles besides Link's Awakening? Because I'm a, I'm a novice, when, um, to say the least, on Zelda. Can you just go over the, um, the versions of the game or the different titles? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you have the original Legend of Zelda, which, you know, came out in 1986 for the original Nintendo. Uh, fun fact with that, actually, that was the game that first allowed, first brought uh, a safe feature to to America because but until then you couldn't save games on cartridges at all. Uh, and the reason that happened is because in Japan, the original Legend of Zelda was actually on a floppy disk. Yeah. Yeah. So the, in Japan, the original Nintendo is called the Famicom and it had this thing, this had, it had this add on, excuse me, called the Famicom disk system. And the disk system pretty much allowed users to play. They're pretty much, they look like floppy disks, but little floppy disk games and, but because they were floppy disks, you could save data and overwrite data. So those games had the ability to save your file, and that way you wouldn't have you could you know pick it up back later. Mm-hmm. Well, Zelda was too complex to be able to not have that. Like you couldn't just <laughs> quit that midway through and then have to redo everything. That would be alienating to gamers. The other option is what's called a password system, which some games used. Uh, Metroid, for example, did. So did Mega Man. And essentially what the game would do for that is they would look at all the different things that you've had, you know, which items you have, which how far in the game you are, and it would basically come up with a passcode based off of what you've done, and then you input that passcode to kind of give you, it's it's close to the same spot that you were at type of thing, right? So what they did with Zelda instead was they added a little battery, a little tiny battery that what happens is when you turn off the NES, mm-hmm. the battery will still supply just a tiny charge of electricity to mm-hmm. the cartridge, so that way it keeps your save file going. Right. And some of these batteries have lasted for 30 years, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, but you do want to replace them before they explode, because then it ruins your car- it can ruin your cartridge, I should say. Well, that that co- that's the same thing for other things in life, Josh. But <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> but. But uh, all yes, jokes aside, that was, that was a long mm-hmm. thing about the original Zelda, right there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so then they had the Adventure of Link in 1987 came out the next year. Also for the original Nintendo, it was weird because instead of being top down, it went side scrolling, but it still kept that open exploration feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adventure, the Adventure of Link or Zelda Two, the Adventure of Link is kind of like the black sheep of the series. Or it's one of the black sheeps of the series, uh, just because not a lot of a lot of Zelda fans, it's hit or miss with them. You either love it or you hate it. Right. It's, it is very difficult. It is very different. It actually added RPG elements, like you could level up your magic and level up your sword, like your sword and stuff like that. So instead of just being a generic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, okay, here's an item. Now here's a better item. Right. Was, you could actually on your skills depending on how how many enemies you fought and you could upgrade your health and so on and so mm-hmm. forth yeah so then you went to super nintendo in 91 you have a link to the past which is considered by many to be the best i don't i don't know what my opinion is on which is the best but that's uh, the thing like Zelda's you read such my, a hey, theories, everyone has their favorite you read my mind that was that was my next question <laughs> Uh, well, it's a, a link to the past. is really is it's really damn good. I, I'm not gonna lie, it is a really fucking good game, and I definitely mm-hmm. suggest if anyone has not tried it, it, it's a good. The original Legend of Zelda and, the, and Zelda Two are a little less user friendly, especially for people who are used to playing modern games. Right. Link to the past is still pretty. It it holds up 
really, really well. The graphics are, I still think, look really good because I like pixel graphics. Sure. Um, but they look, they look really good. Uh, they look really good, and the controls are still good, and the gameplay is still fun. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then in '93, you came to Link's Awakening, the one we started out talking about. Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> it, it's, it's my favorite movie. because it's the only one I really know about. <laughs> Well, that that one's interesting. Not only, like I said, just because it's one of the, it's the not one of the, it is the first Zelda get to go on a handheld console. Yeah, but it like also said, yeah. was cool because the game world was made purposely weird because a lot of the characters in Link's Awakening are not based off of, but heavily inspired by Twin Peaks, the David Lynch show. Oh wow, that's yeah, cool. Right. Yeah, um, that's cool. And, it basically the idea the the idea of that in Twin Peaks. I mean, I haven't seen the show. I I know it's a lot of people like that show, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yet. But the idea is that you know you go to this town and everyone's acting strange and you don't quite know. It makes the town be- itself becomes a character because it's a whole mystery. Right. And it's like uh, they, it's it's kind of like sounds like the Twilight Zone in certain episodes. A little. It could, I mean, there's definitely some <laughs> comparisons to that in terms of tone. Yeah. Um, like, but. You can, yeah. And Link's Awakening, they went for that same type of vibe. That's why, you know, there's a lot of weird characters, a lot of weird people in the town on Kohalan Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then there's a five-year gap, and you have 1998, and you have Ocarina of Time. Uh, the You know, the first 3D Zelda game came out for the, uh, for the N64. They also did a re-release of Link's Awakening called Link's Awakening DX. Like, what was the thought process, do you know, behind that? I mean, I don't know what their, their what Nintendo's thought process was, other than maybe just wanting to re-release one of their most popular games for the Game Boy Color to help the Game Boy Color sell a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, it featured color graphics, and it was actually compatible with the Game Boy Printer, which was kind of interesting, which was a mm-hmm. little add-on that you could plug into your Game Boy and you could use to print out pictures and stuff like that. It was kind of interesting. Um, right. I'm trying to think to see there was yeah and there's an exclusive color based dungeon so that's at least that's what Wikipedia says I was trying <laughs> to remember what specifically was added so I looked it up quick right right of but, course of course Wikipedia is uh, everyone's brain <laughs> <laughs> well it's uh, I mean I was trying I knew they added a dungeon I just couldn't remember if that was if I was correct or I thought mm-hmm. they added a dungeon and I just wasn't a hundred percent certain but yeah so they added a dungeon mm-hmm. uh, that was so, pretty much the biggest difference between mm-hmm. The original Link's Awakening and DX, it was in color, and they added a dungeon, and then uh, Game Boy printer compatibility. Right. Uh, but yeah, um, there was something that was kind of cool. In 94, there was a Zelda that was released in Japan only, uh, and it was for what was called the Satellaview. And what's what's kind of what's cool is that old consoles, believe it or not, could actually go online way earlier than you thought video game consoles could mm-hmm. uh there's a thing called the Satellaview, which was only for japan which their their super nintendo was called the super famicom and it was uh it was pretty much an online service it was a satellite based thing that you could it was it was based off of using like satellite technology type of thing and what it would do is that you could actually download games to your super famicom and there was Zelda games released for it called Zelda no Densetsu, which I don't know too much right. about it. It's, um, it was right. Well, like, uh, you're speaking foreign language to me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's Japanese, but essentially, no, but I mean, all this was, in, uh, sorry, what? 
I, I mean, all this in general. I mean, this is fascinating, you know, the legacy well, you know, of these things, you know? Well, I mean, just think of it this way. It was an add-on that allowed people to connect to satellites. Mm-hmm. That's what the that's what the Satellaview was. And how that relates to Zelda is that Nintendo broadcasted Zelda games to people's Super Nintendos, and there was three different uh, three different broadcasts or three different DLCs, if you want to think of it like that. Uh, and it was, it was just crazy. Like there was, you could play Zelda digitally in in 1994 before the that's wild took full force. That's wild because that's yeah. when 94 is when I, when I remember the damn dial tone on my PC. <laughs> I'm like, that's not. That's to put in perspective, the first console in the U.S. that could, that was, I shouldn't, I don't know if it's the first, but it's the first successful console in the U.S. to go online <laughs> that had online capabilities was the Sega Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, in 98, like I said, Ocarina of Time, the first 3D Zelda, probably one of the most important games of all time and most Zelda fans' favorite. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Uh, it's it's just because it's a lot of people's first Zelda games, and it was the first Zelda game to go into 3D. Yeah. And I mean, they pretty much the biggest debate that I see online is which, like uh, which Zelda is the best. <laughs> it's usually a link to the past or Ocarina of Time. Those are like the two go tos. Mm-hmm. Um, I I mean, I guess I'll just throw my hat into the ring. I I prefer a link to the past, even though I played Ocarina of Time first. But it, that is a long discussion that we don't have time for to go. That's like breaking down specific gameplay mechanics about what which ones I like more uh-huh. versus others. But yeah. Ocarina of Time was super popular because a lot of kids, it was their first Zelda. And right. on top of that, it was the first 3D Zelda, and it was a really good game. Like Just because I like Link to the Past more doesn't mean that Ocarina is bad. It's just a very, it's a good game. And so that's why it what? stuck with people. So what I know about it, like when it comes to categories is, is it half action adventure, half RPG, or would you lean towards majority RPG, like role playing action adventure? Actually, um, yeah. RPG mechanics and games are usually something where it's like you level up a character based off of how many enemies or how many actions. Well, can't you level up in Zelda? Not no. Uh, no. Some Zeldas there are Zeldas that have a leveling up system, like the Adventure of Link, the second Zelda game I mentioned. So that actually has an RP that is an RPG or has RPG elements. Uh, Zelda is more of an action-adventure game because you don't necessarily level up Link himself, but mm-hmm. you get better weapons. So it's kind oh. of like you're leveling up, but the thing <laughs> is, is that you're not, you're not getting... You are not improving because of the actions that you take on a battle-to-battle basis. Right. You are improving because the story is giving you new items, and that's a very different thing. Right. Because um, Link is not going to get... No matter how many enemies you fight... Link is not going to get stronger because he fought a thousand enemies or zero <laughs> enemies on the way to each stop. Zelda, right. you can actually, there's games where you can go through and just bypass the majority of the enemies because they move somewhat slow, with the exception of fighting the bosses. But how, the only thing you mm-hmm. have to do is fight the bosses, and then, you, or not even, you could go into dungeons, get the items, and if you never fought mm-hmm. a boss, you don't have to. Like, you can still improve Link without having so, to fight mm-hmm. anything. Yeah, so when it got to Wii um, and Wii U, how did the gameplay change? The Wii and Wii U were interesting because that was pretty much, like, in between the GameCube and the Wii U, yeah, was pretty much where Zelda, the, the stereotypical Zelda formula got solidified. And what that formula is, 
is that you would have the, the story itself would change from game to game, but the formula was relatively the same. You'd be given a handful of dungeons. Inside each dungeon is an item, usually like a bow or a slingshot yeah. or some just some type of gadget or item. And then you would use that item to beat the boss for that dungeon. And then a lot of times you wouldn't use it nearly that much more outside of the dungeon. Sometimes you would, sometimes you would have to use it for other dungeons, but for the most part, you would get an item in that dungeon, use it to beat that dungeon and beat the boss for that dungeon. And then you're pretty much done with it with the exception of like, you know, the bow is pretty much universal. Like you use that all over the place, but uh, probably the one, the place that I noticed it the most was in uh, Twilight Princess because there is this spinning right. top you get in Twilight Princess where Link will stand on it. The spinning top has uh, it's like a gear on the top of it, so you can latch the spinning top into these little gear grooves on that mm-hmm. are conveniently placed on walls, oh. and you ride up the gear grooves on top of the top. If that makes sense, it's kind of hard to explain, explain verbally. Um, <laughs> So what's the what's the plot of the uh, the Twilight? We said Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess. That one uh, I didn't beat that one, so it's going to be hard for me to do. <laughs> but I, I'm going to utilize our good old friend Wikipedia. It's it's a complicated story. Twilight Princess is interesting because Link always somehow ends up as the hero of Hyrule in almost all the Zelda games. Right. And so in this one, he gets taken away to this world called to the Twilight Realm. Uh, or it's just called Twilight, Into the Twilight. And it's pretty much like an alternate dimension that's like evil. It's an evil alternate dimension. And he gets turned into a wolf in that alternate dimension. So you pretty much have to... Let me, you know what, let me just read this. Who explained, so the, the crux of it is that this evil guy named Zant, the King of Twilight, which is that evil place I was telling you about, yep. invaded, Hy- invaded Hyrule Castle and forced her to surrender. The kingdom became enveloped in Twilight, rendering all of its inhabitants besides Link and Zelda spirits, or, uh, sorry, rendering all of its inhabitants besides Link and Zelda. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that sentence is not a good sentence. Well, it's, uh, to you... save Hyrule Link, aided by Midna, who is someone who's lived in Twilight, must revive the light spirits and enter the Twilight-covered regions covered reco- and recover those spirit, the spirit's light from the Twilight, uh, mm-hmm. from the Twilight beings that stole it. Once revitalized, each spirit returns Link to his Hylian form, which is the, the human-looking form. And informs Link of where to find the uh, the fused shadow. It's it's a complicated story, dude. This is like five paragraphs. I'm not <laughs> like I said, I didn't play Twilight Princess all the way through. I actually don't like Twilight Princess. What I've played of it, it's not one of my mm-hmm. personal favorites. I find it boring. It's no, it's no, a no. it's a lot of people like it. A lot of people mm-hmm. like Twilight Princess, and I just couldn't get into it. Maybe I just wasn't in a Zelda mood every time I've tried playing it, but. Right. It is a it's a complicated game. I wonder if I can you know what? Let me just Google Twilight Princess synopsis. All right, here's a, here here we go. The story focuses on Link trying to prevent Hyrule from being engulfed by a corrupt parallel dimension known as the Twilight Realm. There you go. Mm-hmm. And then the villain of the game is Zant, who I think you later find out is like Ganondorf, because Ganon is almost always the villain of Zelda games. But yeah. Yeah. Were you into the Nintendo DS and the 3DS? Oh, yeah. I love the DS and 3DS. What changed when it got there? Is it just graphics? And... Um, well, no. So, 
besides graphics, the DS and 3DS were kind of, well, the 3DS is more powerful, but the DS was kind of like an N64 in terms of its power. Yeah. But what was cool about the DS and 3DS is that it had a touchscreen, so they found unique ways to add gameplay elements to but to the to the Zelda games with a touchscreen. Uh, the one of the games that I played for the DS was Phantom Hourglass, which not that one's kind of polarizing as well. I mean, most let's be honest, <laughs> most Zeldas, with the exception of Ocarina of Time, Link to the Past, and Breath of the Wild, are polarizing. Oh, we're gonna um, get to Breath of the Wild. We're gonna get there. <laughs> oh, and actually, you know what? Majora's Mask is popular now too. Uh, it wasn't when it, and Wind Waker. Actually, there's a good chunk that are still, but there's a, a lot. It's it's hard to explain. It's a it's a very polarizing series among fans in general. But mm-hmm. um, Phantom Hourglass was cool because it took the Wind Waker world, the, like the Wind Waker Legend of Zelda world, and kind of expanded it to its own into a separate game, and or into an into an additional game. Excuse me. And you, well, some of the gameplay mechanics they added with the touchscreen is that you would get a grappling hook, which did exist in Wind Waker, but since you had a touchscreen, you could actually kind of draw, like, you could tie the grappling hook to different, like, uh, poles, and you could use that as, like, a slingshot almost, depending on, like, with projectiles and stuff right. like that. Like, they had some really cool elements. There was also a microphone on the DS, and there was some mini games that required you to blow into the microphone, which was cool, but at the same time, say you're, like, you know, commuting somewhere on a train or in an air, or if you're flying on an airplane, you look like an idiot just blowing into your mic, into your DS. Let's get into what we mentioned, we just mentioned, Breath of the Wild, because I know in 2017, that's when it came out, right? Yes, came out in 2017, was a launch game for the Switch. Did it do huge numbers? It did very, very, very well. I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but it did very well. I was saying before about the mm-hmm. Zelda formula of how you get an item in a dungeon and then you use that item to beat the, that dungeon. Well, Breath of the Wild just threw that formula out the window. It was, I would argue it is the Zelda that most feels like the original one in terms of freedom. Like the original Zelda didn't tell you where to go. You just kind of explored the world and figured out it as you went. Zelda subsequently tell you more directly, okay, you have, you have to do these things. So go here, here, and here. It doesn't, it may not tell you to do it in a specific order, but it tells you where to go in this, or it usually tells you in a specific order. Breath of the Wild they gave you all of your abilities up front, like within the first hour right. or so. Sure. Instead of instead of spacing it out through the rest of the game, they gave you pretty much everything up front. But what they did do is that they iterated on those abilities. So as you explored through the game, explored through the game world, they would show you new ways or new ideas with the existing abilities that you already have that you could have done at the beginning had you had that idea in the first place. Right. So what was the premise behind the game? In terms of like story, yeah, storyline, yeah. Uh, the story of Breath of the Wild is Link wakes up pretty much from a coma. He is he has amnesia. It's kind of one of those cliche story things. So he doesn't remember who he is, and he wakes to Hyrule, and he sees pretty much Hyrule Castle is covered in evil, for lack of a better term, <laughs> and uh, the they call Ganon in this a calamity. He's known as Calamity Ganon, yeah, and. The idea is that Link has to, you know, it, it tells a story about how, you know, year many, 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 many years ago, Ganon was defeated by these warriors in, in a divine beast, or, or using divine beasts, and they're these giant, like, almost like Megazords from Power Rangers, 
but uh, there are these giant machines that these warriors would pilot to fight Ganon. And Zelda was also, Zelda the princess would also help and, you know, combat Ganon. Well, the, what Ganon did in a time that, like, right before I believe Link went, Link got knocked out. I want to double check on that. <laughs> but he, but right before Link gets knocked out is that Ganon mm-hmm. pretty much gains control of all the champions, uh, all the, you know, the warriors, the champions, divine beasts. And so Link has to go and then go and pretty much beat all the divine beasts so that, and then mm-hmm. he can work his way to Ganon, defeat Ganon, and save Hyrule. What's cool about it is that you didn't have to actually defeat all the divine beasts if you did mm-hmm. not want to. You could actually just go straight to Ganon's castle yeah. and fight Ganon. But if you, but by doing so, it's a lot harder because if you save, if you defeat all the divine beasts and you kind of rescue them from his power, then they're able to help you with the fight. But if you don't rescue any of them, then the fight is a lot harder. Right. So yeah, because I see here it says that a um, hundred year slumber. That's what they said. He woke up just randomly a hundred years. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just ironic that it was evenly one hundred, Josh. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> What a what a shocker! It'd be like weird. What if it was like a hundred and one years? You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, but then the, then the prophecy wouldn't get fulfilled. <laughs> no, yeah, it is. I mean, that's how most stories yeah, are. It's always yeah, yeah. bizarrely convenient numbers. Yeah, of course, of course. So yeah, I saw here um, that Breath of the Wild two. You know, there's conflicting reports. I read today. Um, forgot the website, but they said it's actually in production and that, of course, doing the E3, um, yep. they, they announced it, but what's your thoughts on Breath of the Wild 2? Are you excited for it or do you think that the, the, cause some... I'm looking forward to it. So I, I usually wait till after the game, game comes out to make my final opinion. I also don't really look up a lot of trailers and stuff like that because if it's a game I know I'm going to be interested in, I kind of want to go into it blind and i know that you know if i spend my money and end up hating the game then it's like did you wasted your money right but since i'm a collector it doesn't it never feels like that Um, oh you're a collector let's talk about that um well i've been collecting for probably five or six years now or so uh yeah at least no maybe more than like six or seven uh i got into video game collecting just because i like video game history as you can hear me kind of blabbing now admittedly (laughs) Like a lot, a lot of the stuff I was talking on here, some of it I got from Wikipedia as a refresher, but like genuinely, I love video game history. I find it fascinating when you go back to old games and you find modern concepts, or if you look at old consoles and you see things that they did that was inventive for the time. A perfect example, Mm -hmm. uh, like old games with modern concepts, Castlevania two, Simon's quest, Mm -hmm. that game was an open world game with a day and night cycle. But that came out on the NES in like 1987, I want to say. But that's a good year. 1987. Yeah, dude, 87 was a great year. Yes, it was. That's when I was right. born. That was a great year. It's, it's a very broken game. I'm not saying it. Like, there's a lot of problems with Castlevania 2 uh, that's mm-hmm. very obtuse. It's like there's a lot of puzzles that just make absolutely no sense trying to figure them out. You have to, for example, there's like a puzzle in that game where you have to get an orb bring it over all the way to the left side of the world, mm-hmm. kneel and wait for t- like a seven or eight seconds, and then you get picked up by a gust of wind to continue on. But right. in 
no spot in the game does it tell you that you have to do that. Even with those problems, it was there was a full open world game. There, it was small. There was only three towns. You would have to travel back and forth between each town to figure out, you know, what to do next. There, the day and night cycle actually affected the gameplay because there was mon- the monsters at night were harder to kill, and at night there was actually monsters in the town, but in the day it was villagers. So depending on when you were in town would determine how you would have to play, determining day or night type of thing. So, like that type of shit fascinates me just because it's like that is a very modern idea of a like a fully like a twenty four hour. I mean, it's 24-hour use loosely in this game, but it's like a 24-hour <laughs> yeah. day cycle, day and night cycle with open-world elements, but on an NES, which is just wild to me. Um, mm-hmm. Stuff stuff like that. I, I like that kind of thing. So I got into collecting for reasons like that. I hit a 1,000 physical games in my collection so far. Where are you from? I'm from the Philly area. I, I live, I'm in, I'm over on the East Coast near Philly. Okay, so you like um, the Eagles, the Phillies, and all that? I'm more of a hockey guy, but I'm a diehard Flyers fan. In the, uh, in the hockey world, that's usually fighting words. Did Roenick play for the Flyers? He did. He played in the early 2000s. Yeah, he was my guy. He played, right, like, when hockey was, like, you could literally, like, I don't think people realize how tough hockey players were. I mean, they still are, but, like, they, they're kind of limiting the fighting now more than they did in the past. Like, you could literally... Yeah, yeah they are. No, yeah, they're limiting it. I mean, you can still fight, but it's got to be like a designated period agreed upon, basically. They've relaxed a little bit on those things. Oh, you right. can, you don't have to. The big, the biggest problem with fighting now is that they have the instigator rule. Is because so if you <laughs> if you instigate the fight, yeah, then you have to. Then you get an extra two minutes or some shit like that. Let's talk about what happened in uh, last year with that Link's um, Awakening. Um, a game that came out, it got four over four uh, million copies. What was your thoughts on that when it came out for the Switch? Oh, it was fantastic, man! It was Link's Awakening for a long time was the underappreciated Zelda. Like there was people who played it for the first time, or people who played it back when they were kids, like you. A friend of mine named Eric, he loved Link's Awakening, but I was we were both really young when he was playing it. I was probably like 10 or 11 or something like that and he was telling me how great it was and i'm just like yeah but it's not 3d like ocarina of time and i was just such a such a little snot about it because i was just Mm -hmm. like but it's not it doesn't look as good as ocarina and now years later i can go back and enjoy that game for what what he enjoyed it for it was it's a really good game and so when they ported it to the switch or i shouldn't say port they remade it from the ground up for switch I, I loved it. I loved the toy aesthetic. Is there much difference in the plot from the 2019 to the, um, like, 93? Like, did they change anything, or was it basically the same, um, like, storyline? As far as I'm aware, it's the same storyline. I don't know if they changed anything in terms of gameplay, because I'm actually still playing through it currently, so I haven't... I, I, I could look it up, but I, I haven't... I haven't experienced anything personally that's, like, <laughs> drastically different. I'm sure there's some minor differences other than the 3d right. difference but right yeah when did the switch come out do you know offhand when the switch came out it was the same time as uh, breath of the wild okay so overall so what's your favorite like zelda character i would say link is a default but if i'm really trying to think through some of the side characters and some of the uh some of the goofier characters it actually would be oh, that's, Ironically, I would say Tingle, because Tingle is like this 
weirdest. Hey Josh, I didn't mean dude. to I didn't mean to blindside you, but you're like you're no, like no, you're, good, dude. you're like interview thirty, so I've kind of brushed up on my skills. <laughs> let me let me see here. Hold on. There I'm trying to think. There is a some really goofy characters in the Zelda universe. Uh, I know there's a side char- side character out there that I like more. I just can't think of them off the top of my head just because it wasn't... There's a lot of characters I like more than Link because Link is kind of like a blank slate. But mm-hmm. because I wouldn't say... Hmm, I don't know. I There's a, there's just so many. I know I'm like... You know what? We're going to go with in Wind Waker. I don't even know the dude's name. But there's a guy... Who likes to dance disco and he teaches you a song with the and he just kind of he teaches you a song with the wind waker and he just does this disco thing out on the middle of like this cliff side on in a on outset aisle right I think it's outset aisle but dude dude makes me laugh every single time <laughs> i go over there yeah um let's uh let's talk about your podcast for a minute if that's okay still loading so what was the yeah so what was the um I guess, backstory of that. How did that start? Um, I started the podcast six years ago now. Um, it was on and off for the first two. I, I would do like a handful of episodes and then just kind of stop and then do another handful of episodes and then stop another nine months and shit like that. But it started because my friend and I, my friend Justin and I, really, we both are huge gamers. We love video games. It's something that we're both super passionate about. And we... We listened to Kevin Smith podcast. I know I was talking to you on Instagram Live a little bit last night. That was fantastic, by the way. It was fun, dude. <laughs> but yeah, so Kevin Smith's one of my favorite podcasters and directors, and he has a whole spiel, which I'm not going to repeat here, but basically saying, like, why not? Like, why not just do something creative? And he always encourages people to create a podcast. So it was that. And then there's a video game podcast I love called Retronauts. I always talk about them all the time. Because I think they're super intelligent and get they're really insightful, and the combination of him kind of encouraging his audience to create a podcast and then them doing video games, I was like, I can do this, and we started, and that's how it. That's pretty much how it got off the ground. It was, uh, it was a rocky couple of years. I would I would say I didn't really get into my stride until 2017. Mm-hmm. So the first three years were pretty rough. I have a lot of respect for that because I just hit 100 episodes. And um, first sixty-five was with uh, was with Frank Jag, and um, it's just been me for the last. This I think this will be episode one hundred two. So it's I have a lot of respect for people that um, that do podcasts by themselves because it's a lot of work. So about the podcast, like what's like what's one of your favorite episodes? Like you've done. I know that's a loaded question, but what's your favorite like type of um, like episode that you do okay so i actually got a couple answers this. i have my personal favorite episode and then my favorite episode type to do because i kind of answer both your questions there um the, my favorite episode type are the ones where i can just bullshit with my guest who's whatever game we're talking about if they are able to kind of riff with me those are the most fun i have to do and there's some friends of mine i'll give them a shout out the no geeks allowed podcast it's k-n-o-w that's how they spell oh, it. i like K-N-O-W. that no geeks allowed. See, and that's, before you continue, that's what I love about podcasting is the creativity and originality of podcast names. I mean, oh, yeah. but anyways, continue. Well, they were, um, they're, they're good friends of mine, and they're funny as fuck. They are so funny, they're down to earth, they're good dudes, and every time I record an episode with them, it is the 
it's some of the most fun I ever have recording just because we have such good banter. We're able to stay on topic, but at the same time, they will allow for they like they, they go on little flights of fancy where we'll mm-hmm. just like bullshit with each other for a little bit. And it's just it's a really good time. And even when if I have either one of those, those two guys on their names are James and Brian, they, it's just a good time. So that's my favorite type to record anything with them. I would say they're my favorite guests to have on just because they they're so good at banter and it, it makes my job so much easier when I can banter with them. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite episode of all time actually is one that I did with my wife and I'm not saying that to be cute. Not to get bonus points? <laughs> no, not to give it. I mean, she's not going to listen to this anyway. So <laughs> she doesn't listen to podcasts, so she's... Uh, <laughs> not even your own episode on a semi-decent show? <laughs> uh, she, no, she, she doesn't even listen to my podcast. So. We did an episode on a video game called Stardew Valley, and my wife and I, we're, we're the definition of like opposites attract. We both, we get along so well with each other, but she likes very different things than I do. And she fell in love with Stardew Valley, which is also one of my favorite games. And she doesn't play games like it all. So it was the perfect episode for her to come on. And I actually, it came out earlier this year. And it's, it is, it was one of my favorite ones to record. And I, it was one of my, it's just one of my favorite ones to listen to. So I think it's mm-hmm. a, that's my personal favorite episode. Yeah. Well, this is my personal favorite. It's always the current episode, Josh. That's always your next best one. Yeah. It's always the future. It's always the future. You said you wanted to talk about the Atari. What's your experience with that? Oh, um, the Atari, basically, I just had a good Atari story. There is, it, you know, I don't have a lot of personal experience with the Atari just because it, it's like, you know, like I said, I'm, I was born in 89, so the Atari was done for pretty much, the 2600 at least, was done for about six years prior to me even being born, and let alone me becoming cognizant of video games. <laughs> and, but the, the Atari, uh, Atari did this really cool thing called Sword Quest. Have you ever heard of Sword Quest? Um, no. Sorry, I can't say I have. It's all good. I didn't know about it until I saw actually an angry video game nerd about it at first. And then I, you know, that's where I got, that's where I learned about it. So what Sword Quest was, it was a series of games that it was a, kind of like a puzzle adventure game. So what would, what would happen is when you would buy Sword Quest, you would get the box, you'd get the game cartridge. Sure. And you would get a comic book, and it was done by DC Comics, and they had like a really, really, really good comic artist. On wow. Um, let me actually double check on that real quick, because I want to make sure that I'm giving proper credit. So George Perez and Dick Giordano did the drawing and inking, and then Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway wrote it. Uh, George Perez is one of the most famous comic book artists out there. I mean, I'm not even a comic guy. I just, I just, you know, I have friends in the comic world, so they tell me stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what was cool about it is that you would play through the game, right? And as mm-hmm. you'd play through the game, as you would solve puzzles, it would give you a page number and a panel number. Mm-hmm. So you would open up the comic and go to that page and panel number, and there's a word hidden in that panel that you had to find. Right. And you, you would go through the whole game, you would write down all the words, and then at the front of that comic there was a riddle or something like that. And so based off that riddle, you'd have to use the words you got and figure out what the answer was. And that riddle would also tell you, because some of the words were fake, some of the words you didn't need, you weren't supposed to use them in your answer. 
So you would have to use that riddle at the front of the comic to eliminate all the different words, and then also you what's ever left over is your answer then. Mm-hmm. So well, the reason for doing all of that is that once you figured out that answer to once you beat the game and got all the words and you figured out the answer to the riddle, you would mail in your answer to Atari, and then they would bring all those winners together for one wow. for a final tournament. No shit. And it was one final level in the game that was not released in the original cartridge. Now, the winner of that tournament would get a grant, would get a prize. And it wasn't just like, okay, here's like a thousand dollars. It was it was fucking crazy what they got. So there was, four, there was four games in the series, Earth World, Fire World, Water World, and Air World. And there was a there was going to be a tournament for all for one for each game. The winner, Earth World was the first one. The winner of the Earth World would have get this thing called the Talisman of Penultimate Truth. And it was an eighteen carat solid gold disc studded with twelve diamonds and birthstones of the of the twelve zodiac signs. Right. Along with a miniature gold sword set atop it. Like this is legit. It was worth twenty five thousand dollars back in like nineteen eighty two money. Oh my god. And so it wasn't just like, okay, here's like a thousand bucks. It was worth twenty five thousand dollars. That's and, the shit. You no, know, it's and that like I said, that was in nineteen eighty two money, right? So if we adjust that shit for inflation, I'm not curious. <laughs> for inflation. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm now I'm curious. So twenty five thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Adjusted for inflation is sixty six thousand dollars. <laughs> uh Wait, did you just hold on, hold on. Josh, did you just use a calculator? No, I, I used an inflation calculator. <laughs> I didn't do that math in my head. I'm not that smart. <laughs> so what would happen then is that you, you would, the winner of Earthworld would get that. Then they did the same thing for Fireworld. The winner of Fireworld, though, would win the Chalice of Light, which is a goblet made out of platinum and gold, platinum and gold, and studded with diamonds, rubies, sapphires, pearls, and green jade. I'm reading. I'm reading what the, this shit's made out of off of Wikipedia. And what's crazy is that after that, that so that was the first two games, Earthworld and Fireworld. Uh, the third game was Waterworld, and at this time, because Waterworld was coming out in '84, well, the video game market crashed in between the release of Fireworld and Waterworld, because that was in 1983 to '84, right? Mm-hmm. So what happened was Atari couldn't release it. It, uh, standardly, they couldn't release it to normal retailers. It was by mail order only through their Atari magazine. <laughs> right. so you could only get Waterworld by that through there. And after that second tournament, they didn't really, ha- they didn't have a third one. Mm-hmm. They never had the third. And the fourth game, Airworld, never got released. So all of these, so these prizes, we all, I only read the first two. I read the Talisman, which had, you know, 18 karat gold and the Chalice of Light, which was gold and platinum, a gold and platinum goblet. Um, right. The other two prizes for Waterworld, it was the Crown of Life, which was a solid gold crown decorated with diamonds, rubies, sapphires, and aquamarines. And mm-hmm. then the Airworld thing was the Philosopher's Stone, which is a large piece of white jade in eight in an eighteen carat excuse me an eighteen karat gold box encrusted with emeralds, rubies, and diamonds. Wait, so wait, wait! Two- hold on, hold on, hold on. The box was encrusted with that shit. <laughs> yeah. So, dude, these things were each one of those prizes were worth twenty five thousand dollars a piece, right? Damn. And it's so that so 
grand total, there was $100,000 worth of prizes in 1982-83 money. Yeah, right? that's some shit. So that, that's fucking crazy. So what would have happened if this was actually able to go under, like uh, to continue on without Atari pretty much going, like almost going, pretty much going bankrupt. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If they were able to complete the other tournaments, the four winners of each of those tournaments was going to come back for one final tournament and they would have, they were going to get a jewel-encrusted sword. It was a mm. silver blade with an 18-karat gold handle made that was covered with diamonds, emeralds, sapphires, and rubies, and that was valued at 50K. So technically, the prize pool was $150,000 worth of prizes in 1980 fucking two. It's That's crazy, wild. bro. That's just wild. I like, tell that story just because I'm fascinated. Yeah, so... That's so crazy. The Atari was a huge jump compared to the previous console. Wasn't it a big jump? Is that why it was grabbed on, or you know, a lot of people liked it, or do you think it was just, it was just um, like innovative? So there was a console before the Atari, but it didn't really do too well. It was oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name because originally there was no, like it's pong fine. consoles. Like there was no like swappable cartridges. You could only play pong. Mm-hmm. But then there was. It's not the Intellivision, it's not the ColecoVision, it was the Odyssey, the Magnavox Odyssey. Right, right. Which, that was technically before it, but it really didn't have that much going for it. The The Atari 2600 is pretty much what be, like made video games video games. It was the swappable cartridges, so you could mm. buy the console and buy separate software and just pop the cartridges in and out of the console. Yeah. And that was pretty much why it was so popular. But yeah, it was a pretty, in terms of graphics and power, there wasn't a like a like a crazy large jump, but it right. was a jump, and I would say the the swappable cartridges is what really sold the Atari twenty six hundred to the public. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of enamors me. That's why I was telling you kind of off air was that I was thinking about doing a documentary on it, but yeah. I, I don't know. It, I was you're gonna hook me up with a uh, podcast guest, right, Josh? Or at least if do I your at least do your at least do your best, okay? Carmen San Diego <laughs> male version. I'll see if I can find someone. <laughs> Be like, where's Waldo? Try to pick him out, all right? Or her out, or her out. Where's Atari person? You're right. I should <laughs> have said, man. <laughs> Got anything coming up with the podcast? Any big uh, big event coming up? Um, I'm currently doing what's what I'm calling the summer of PlayStation 2. Uh, this year, the PlayStation 2 turned 20 years old, which makes me feel old as wow. shit. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 a little it's a little weird. So what I'm doing is I normally release episodes bi-weekly, but this time I'm releasing episodes every single week, and each week I'm covering a different PlayStation Two game. Uh, I don't know when this is this coming out next week. I would assume. Uh, yeah, next week. Yep, next probably, week. So probably right around this time, actually. The most recent episode it, that will be released upon when this gets done is Katamari Damashi uh, for the PS Two, um, but. It's going pretty much every week up until the release of the PlayStation 2 in North America, which was in, no, uh, excuse me, not November. It was in October. I think it was like October 26th. I don't know off the top of my head, actually. <laughs> Something I should like probably that. know that. Um, yeah, it's, it's close by. I think it was the 26th because my last episode of it is coming out October 25th. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so I'm just to celebrate the PlayStation Two and the you know the best selling console sure. of all time. I'm oh, I remember PlayStation Two, man. See, that was the last con- console I played, Josh. After the PS Two, I kind of stopped. But I'm trying to remember: did I play anything besides sports games on the PS Two? Talk about Sega for a while, for a couple minutes, if you if that's okay with you. 
they made the new Sonic character, and then people were like bitching on. I actually have Sonic. not seen the new Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Me neither. No, but what was your thoughts on the like? Were you um, big into Were you big into Sonic back in the day? I played it over at my neighbor's house. I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say I was like a diehard Sonic fan, but I loved the hell out of those games when I was a kid. Um, I am a fan of the redesign. I think that company deserved all the shit they got for that. <laughs> I feel bad for their workers because they were probably put under like development and crunched. Like Crucible, like Crucible, man. <laughs> like, oh my god, that like I can't understand who thought that was a good design. That was the yeah. ugliest design for Sonic. Yeah, I've that seen. was. If you look at that original design, yeah. that is not a good design. That's that true. Was ugliest. Do you think it was just a botch creatively? Uh, it was a hundred percent. Like I can't. It's there's a thing mm -hmm. called the Uncanny Valley. You ever heard of that? No, no, sir. <laughs> it is a it is a concept where when something is too close to being real that it makes people feel uncomfortable and the and the level of like like how much someone likes something or the level of how much people like it decreases. So no, it makes sense. Is, it makes sense. I just haven't heard of the term. It makes sense. Yeah. So when something is super far away from like realism, you know, mm -hmm. cartoons and shit like that, people genuinely really like that. So that's it. Pokey, yeah. And closer to <laughs> realism. Then you get shit like you know, like the Polar Express. Not a lot of people like because the way that the the CG models look, it's kind of creepy. They look almost too lifelike. You talking about the and movie then, with uh, you talking about the movie with uh, Tom Hanks? Yeah, yeah, I like that <laughs> movie, but a lot of people hated those models there. I'm a big Captain Phillips guy myself. <laughs> I but, haven't uh, seen it, but I, I like Tom Hanks. <laughs> it's my ship now. I can't do the I can't do the indigenous person. Uh, <laughs> so. Sonic, like, were you big into like? Cause I know the characters. So was Sonic, Tails. Who else was the big? Who were the big characters? It was Doctor. What was his name? The Robotnik, other guy. And then later yeah. They changed it to Eggman. Robotnik. Yeah. What was your thoughts on him? Like, do you think they the evolution of the character was it basically the same? Right. I through? mean, I don't know enough about the Sonic series. To, just to be completely honest, like I I played a good chunk of them when I was a kid. Never really. I don't even think I beat in a Sonic game. <laughs> But um, after that, as after playing the original like two D side scroller as a kid, mm -hmm. I didn't really play any others. I love Tails. Tails was my guy. I like Tails a lot too. <laughs> um, so um, what's your social media? Um, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Still Loading Pod on all of them. Um, or you can reach out to me, Still Loading Contact at Gmail dot com. All right, man. Well, it's been a it's been a blast, man. Yeah, it's a good time. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Take care, bro. See ya. All right, bye. Okay, there you have it. That was awesome. You know, I had no idea um, about the history, really, of Zelda and all the current games and all the different series um, that it came out with. So, thank you for listening to this episode of Sensibly Cynical. If you could please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, it would be highly appreciated. Also, check us out on Instagram at Sensibly Cynical Pod. Check out our Twitter at Cynical Sensibly. And you can check out our Facebook group. Thank you and take care.